Okay, I'm going to continue a series I started. I started in uh, on the book of Daniel. This will be Daniel part two. And for those that are listening or who weren't there in the beginning, where's part one? Part one was done in February, about four weeks before the state shut down and everybody's life turned inside out, sideways, the riots and the turmoil of the election. So it's been somewhat of a ride for me. Let's put it that way. But when I made the decision about a month ago to continue the series, uh, I started to get like confirmations in like every direction, including one when I first did this series in February, I started part one, the introduction and uh, part of and talking about chapter one um, of Daniel. There wasn't a lot of people talking about Daniel or Revelation anymore. But I've noticed in the last several weeks that sort of changed a little bit. About a month ago, there was um, among the confirmations of the interest of people looking for an answer to what's going on is there was a series of books, commentary series of books on the Bible. And it's normally an expensive one. It's anywhere from $20, $25 up to $30, $35. And they were putting it on sale on Amazon for $7.99. And I didn't notice it in the beginning, but after a few days, I noticed that the top selling book, just about or near the top, was the commentary on the book of Daniel consistently every day till it was no longer on sale. And that's kind of um, another was another confirmation for me that there is an interest in uh apocalyptic literature and before we start I want to do a bit of a review of chapter one I won't talk about a lot of chapter two maybe part of it I'll probably end on Daniel's prayer after he receives the answer to his prayer because I, I feel like after 10 months we need to review uh, what happened so there's a bit of a context and chapter two is so huge that you couldn't possibly talk about all of it. So let's turn to Daniel chapter one, chapter one, and I'll read um, part of chapter one or sections of it. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Before I move on, I want to remember that that phrase is very important because that was a sovereign move of God that God did because God had warned, as we'll talk about, the Israelites that if they disobeyed God, he would turn them over to their enemies. And there was nothing they could do about it. And the same could happen to us if we disobey the Lord. Starting in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect 
who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him, Ashpenaz, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now Daniel is called an apocalyptic literature. It's a prophecy. It's different than other prophets, prophecies where uh, like Jeremiah was a call uh, prophecies that were called given to Jeremiah for the purpose of repentance, which they never did. Daniel is just flat out a revelation. And Daniel is not, uh, even though he recorded it for future, Daniel was never, there's no record of Daniel being called to asking the people to repent, unlike a lot of the other prophets. It was a flat out straight vision that he got as well as uh, Nebuchadnezzar. An apocalypse, it's called apocalypse, based on a Greek word, apocalypsis, which is an uncovering, a revealing, a revelation, or um, it's a, a, a revealing of divine truth. Um, and we need to remember that when Daniel came into this, Nebuchadnezzar, they, they Daniel was seeking God, whether he got a vision or not, but God is the source of all the revelation in this book and in the entire Bible. Daniel had a gift from God. That's another sovereign move of God for understanding dreams and visions. But if God had never decided to give Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar what was got these dreams, Daniel would probably would have just gone on his way and none of us would know what the future is. So really these dreams and visions was God's sovereign move of grace to tell people what the future is. And I wanna deal with that in a minute because we need some a certain amount of humility when we deal with uh, literature, apocalyptic literature. Daniel, like the book of Revelation of John, is a statement by God that he and he alone knows all history and everything is under his control. It is also meant to reassure his chosen people that it is all in his hands. So we have to remember that Israel was turned over to their enemies and must have been upset. And so God revealed the future that there is a future for the Jewish people that as we'll see in the future, there is an end to Babylon, but there will be other empires. Daniel is not so much a detail of all history, but that everything is in God's hand. Um, theologian Sinclair Ferguson said a couple of things that we need to remember, uh, Daniel, that man's history is in fact God's history 
in a spiritual conflict that lies in the heart of every event, however great, however mundane, our own contribution of history depends on our answer to this question, am I living for the city of God and according to its code of conduct, or am I living according to the bylaws of the city of destruction? And another thing he said that I think is important when you read Daniel or the book of Revelation, that uh, Sinclair Ferguson also said, the prophecy is the interpretation of history from the standpoint of God's covenant word and promise. And in his commentary, which I read, he said that prophecy in scripture, examples Daniel's prophecy, prophecies and visions, is history from God's point of view. God is infinite in wisdom and knowledge, authority and power. We are finite in wisdom and knowledge. Our authority and power is limited. Therefore, our ability to interpret apocalyptic literature such as Daniel is limited. We need to accept that we will not get everything correct in our interpretations. We will be wrong. And we, I've seen it in the last several months where people had all sorts of ideas what was going to happen. A lot of them didn't come to pass. There are people, false prophets, who gave prophecies at the beginning of the year of what was going to happen in 2020. And they were all wrong. And that's been pointed out by a number of people already. And so far, none of them have admitted it or repented of it, which is a very dangerous place to be. Um, we will be wrong. We need to accept that God knows everything and we don't. There are definitely parameters of interpretation that are correct, but in certain parts of the visions in this book, we are still not absolutely certain because God knows all and we don't. Some things need to be left to God. We need to accept the possibility that some parts of these visions will not be known until they come to pass. God is in control. That may be purposeful in his, in, on his part. And I think it's not maybe purposeful. I think it is purposeful because we need to trust God, that God is in control. I think we can get stuck on the visions of Daniel and forget that God is in control. He's the only person, to use a bad phrase, please forgive me, God is the only person in this room who knows all of history. And he's the only person in the universe that knows all of history. The rest of us can go around pretending we know what's going to happen in the future. There's even been science fiction books written on this subject. But God is the only person that knows history. And Nebuchadnezzar's vision, like Daniel's visions, are only like, Broad overviews, like um, somebody said, it was like a picture book where we see the whole, we may see part of the picture, but we don't see the details, and I believe that's on purpose. Daniel 1 shows that the Lord allowed Judah to be exiled. He said in Deuteronomy 31 and 30, and I'll say this quickly, uh, Deuteronomy 31, the Lord appeared to Moses at the tent in the pillar of cloud. And the cloud, this is verses 15 through 18 of 31. And the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors. And these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. 
I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all the wickedness. In Deuteronomy 30, he talks about setting before us life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing to the Jordan to possess. As we've seen that the children of Israel multiple times turned away from God, and so God sent them into exile for the purpose of purifying them, uh, training them, and educating them. And in many respects, that's what happened. Their um, tendency to get into idolatry was permanently cured, but then they got into other things. And lest we become prideful and think that that won't happen to us, the Bible is very clear that as believers, followers of Yeshua, we can very easily sin and God can discipline us. In Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I mean, it needs to get that serious. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And I'll also read Psalm 118. Verses 18, it says, The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. In Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So we need to remember that when we displease the Lord like the children of Israel did, that he is fully capable of disciplining us and judging us. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they tried to put one over on everybody else, but it didn't go over. And I was looking at um, Yeshua's letters to the churches in the book of Revelation on the church at Thyatira where they had a false prophet and God and God specific the Lord specifically said that he gave this person this woman time to repent and they refused and so he was going to turn them over to a bed of affliction and then God said he was going to kill all her children and I have to take God at his word that he meant that literally and 
more detailed versions of I'm just going a broad overview, but what because I'll have a link on this podcast to the original teaching so that people, particularly in the um, podcast world, can listen to that first before you continue with this. Um, what Babylon did is very common in those days. They would invade a country. They would destroy or steal what is valuable and take it back to their own land. Hence, that's why Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, why he stole all the things in the temple. They would take captive the best people and re-educate them, in essence, brainwash them, become pagans. And that way, he would export a lot of the people in the land. Those that weren't killed would be sent into slavery in other countries. And then he would import his own people, set up colonies. Uh, Rome did that. Uh, that way it nullifies the threat and captive and uh, the threat and people become captives and hostages. Rome did that when they took over Israel. They took possession of the high priest robes and where the Bible clearly says that God sets up the high priest and the line comes from through Aaron. Rome took over, in essence, co-opting, and I just want to be careful how I word this, Rome co-opted God's rights. In essence, instead of coming to God, we had to come to the Romans to fulfill God's scripture, and that's something that we need to be aware of in this time, that when the state co-ops God, they're stepping into territory that God has not given them. And that's as much as I'll say on that one, that issue. But I think most people can pretty much read between the lines on that one. Um, also, Rome would um, take um, people captive and he, to ensure that the people in the land that he captured would stay docile, and he did that with the Herods, as much as Herod was fully a Roman puppet, uh, he had people in his family that were in Rome, not just to learn Roman ways, but they were hostages to make sure that the Herod family stayed docile. And and as I read, the purpose, as I said, the purpose of Babylonian training was brainwashing. The cream of the crop of Israel was exiled to the court of Nebuchadnezzar to train them in the ways of Babylon to, in essence, turn them into pagans. And I want to read a little bit of Daniel chapter 1, verses, uh, starting at verse 8. This is but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he would not defile himself. And going to verse 14, no, I'm sorry. Um, Daniel, sorry, in verse 12, please, and with Daniel 
says to the overseer, his overseer, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth and deal with your servants according to what you see. And it happened after 10 days, Daniel and his friends were fatter than all the youths. And I know I've heard this um, said that we need to remember there's no such thing as a Daniel fast because if you're eating nothing but vegetables and water, you don't get fat, you get skinny. And so you're sort of barking up the wrong tree, in my opinion. If, if you try and follow a Daniel fast. And that's another example of the sovereign move of God that got a he ate, Daniel and his friends ate fruit and vegetable, uh, vegetables and water and got fat, which shouldn't have happened. So that's a sovereign move of God. Why did Daniel and his friends refuse some of the training? There are a lot of reasons. It could be because he didn't want people who weren't kosher or pagans to eat their food, uh, to make their food. He didn't want the ingredients. But I think there's a possibility that Daniel simply refused to take up a pagan lifestyle. Yeah, but the results of Daniel aren't guaranteed. Daniel became, and his friends became top leaders in the uh, nation of Babylon, but that's not guaranteed because he could have easily been killed if he read refused. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul said that those who desire to live a godly life in Messiah, Yeshua, will be persecuted, and many were persecuted and killed. So Daniel, if it had been God's will, could have easily died right then and there. So that's a very short review of chapter 1. So I want to... Um, read, start in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And they came in and stood before the king, the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And you need to remember back then they had books, dream books. And when I, I never understood this till I was reading about this in some of the commentaries. It's scary because there are books, even among believers, that help you interpret dreams. There are ministries that help you turn dream them. And that you realize that we I realized, boy, we got to be careful because you could be following pagan practices. And so what the king would do and others is you would tell them the dreams, and then they would consult these books and give you the interpretation. And for various reasons, which I'll discuss, Nebuchadnezzar turned the tables on them and said, no, you got to tell me not only the interpretation, you got to tell me the dream. And some people feel that that's because Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. But I don't believe that for one minute. I've had very few dreams from the Lord in my life, but I don't forget them. I mean, I had a dream from the Lord back in 40, 45 years ago, and I still remember it. So the odds of 
Nebuchadnezzar forgetting his dream are pretty slim. If God wants you to remember it, we'll make sure. Um, well, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, this, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and the interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Sounds like Joseph. They answered a second time and said, they just basically ignored the king. And said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have all agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conqueror or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Israel. Uh, I'll stop there. This chapter shows that the Lord works sovereignly in history to show his glory so that everyone will praise him. I mean, just imagine God. You would think if God was giving the Lord was giving a vision as important as this, He gave it. He gave it to like a holy man, but He gave it to a pagan megalomaniac king, who probably wasn't even emotionally stable at the time. In chapter two, we see the beginning of God's judgments against nations, where. People like Nebuchadnezzar spend a lot of time creating kingdoms. And we got people who do the same thing in businesses, countries, and legacies. Yet in chapter two, we see, we'll start to see in this and other chapters, the Lord's opinion of the entire concept of mankind creating their own kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is a megalomaniac. Uh, he tolerated no criticism, no contradiction, and he considered himself the key and the foundation for the future of his country. And that's what Hitler and a lot of these other megalomaniacs feel is that they're absolutely indispensable to their country. And that if they were not in the picture, the whole thing would collapse. Although in Nebuchadnezzar's, well, in Hitler's too, when Hitler died, when he shot himself, the whole thing collapsed within 24 hours. And Nebuchadnezzar was the only really great king they had, and it was all downhill. And Babylon only really lasted 60, 60 years or so. 
And even when Daniel interprets the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is still unremorseful and unrepentant, just that the God of the Hebrews is bigger than the other gods. In the beginning of the chapter, Daniel, the king, and every one of the advisors are put into an impossible situation. By the Lord's sovereign design, Nebuchadnezzar receives a series of bad dreams from the Lord. You know, it's beyond belief that someone as evil as him had a direct word from God, but God did it for his own purposes, for his glory. Dreams were very important in the ancient world. They were considered harbingers of things to come. Or they were maybe or possibly considered harbingers of things to come because they could easily be from Satan. So like I said, he gave the, the dream to a heathen king. He did not have to do so. He did so for his own purposes. But we see that the king is upset over his dreams because they are beyond his control. And that the king likes to be in control and yet the interpretation is beyond him. And so really in many respects, as powerful as he is, when he receives this dream from the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar sort of dissolves into a little baby that has tantrums. And we also see that the king had no relationships with anybody because when the his um, people, his advisors come to him and said, tell us the dream and they said no you you know when the king didn't trust his advisors to tell him the truth and it may be that we see with Daniel that they spent an inordinate amount of time trying to get Daniel in trouble throughout the book and that's just the ones we know of in scripture there's no telling how many different times they tried to get Daniel in trouble that isn't recorded in scripture so it's possible that Nebuchadnezzar really did not trust his own uh, advisors. And so the Lord, through Nebuchadnezzar, put an impossible situation into play that only God himself could answer. That only God can answer, and so that only God can get the glory. So I want to read... I'll read starting in chapter 2, verse 14. And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And as I said, Daniel had discretion and discernment, or he had taste is another word. Um, he had good taste. There's no guarantee that he could have succeeded. Um, God chose that, said to Ariok, what is the reason for the, is the decree from the king so urgent? And Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in, an amazingly brave things to do, and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now it's interesting because the advisors said somewhat the same thing, and the king got mad. But Daniel seemed to have enough of a relationship with the king that he said almost, you know, somewhat similar, and the king gave it to him. So Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And before we talk about the vision, and I know I'm going a little fast, but I there's just a lot to, to consider, and I just wanted to give a broad overview. Plus, I challenge people to look over these scriptures, listen to the original podcast, and study it for yourselves. But always think of it from the standpoint that with this vision from Nebuchadnezzar and others, this was a sovereign move of God. God, the Lord didn't have to reveal anything about anything to Daniel. Um, and none of us would have been the wiser. But God did it so that we might be encouraged that there is a future. Daniel and his friends pray and ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this misery, uh, mystery. Daniel is not only concerned for his life and the life of his friends, he is also concerned with the lives of all the pagan wise men. And as we'll see in scripture, that was a thought that was not reciprocated. Daniel acted in a way that was a type of the Messiah, had compassion and mercy on the pagans, even though, in, as we saw in the future, the pagans spent time trying to get Daniel and his friends in trouble, but he just kept on having compassion and mercy is an example to us all. After praying, Daniel and his friends do the exact opposite of what you expect and what the king does. When the king stays up and frets and worries, Daniel and his friends go to bed and get a good night's sleep. Can you imagine that? They pray and they say, well, I'm going to sleep. And if we talked about in that song that God is our resting place, Daniel rested in God. And how does the Lord respond? By giving Daniel the dream and the interpretation. After all, the whole situation is a sovereign move of God. How does Daniel respond to the answer to his prayer? With singing praise to the Lord. And I want to read his praise. And this may be a scripture that I'll read at the beginning of every other time I, I talk on this chapter. Because I think it is the key to the whole book, as well as to help deal with some of the situations we're in right now. Starting in verse 19, and the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. When Daniel blessed the God of heaven, Daniel said, and when you look at this, remember, I'm just amazed at how on target Daniel was. He got this on target. He understood the dream, the interpretation, and the ramifications of the whole thing. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And remember that that's the word that was, the concept is repeated over and over in this prayer is God, he or him. That wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and epochs. Of times and seasons and as a sidelight that's actually something that scripture reveals about the antichrist is he's going to try and change the times and the seasons and so in essence the anti as we'll talk about later the antichrist is trying to imitate god he's trying to change things around uh, it is he who changes the times and the epochs he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives 
wisdom to wise men and knowledge to man, men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we, re we requested of you for you have made known to us the king's manner. <clears throat> I think that's a very important prayer, something we need to remember. It keeps us humble that God could have, Daniel chose to come to God for the interpretation because he knew that only God could give an interpretation. And he was humble enough to realize that God is in charge. And I think that's something we need to remember. Uh, Father, we come to you in Yeshua's name and we ask that you pour out your spirit upon us as we seek your face in these difficult days. We ask that you would show yourself great and glorious, that you would reveal your glory on the earth. And we ask, I ask, for the people who listen to this, whether in this meeting or in the podcast, that they would seek out and understand you, Lord, that they would seek out not only teachings on the character and nature of God, but also to talk about your sovereignty, your providence, which is sovereignty in action. And I ask in Yeshua's name that you would help us to reveal Realize that you are in charge, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen.